It's Tuesday, May 9th, 2023, and you're listening to episode 612 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 37 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Mary. And this is Wayne. All right. Today's topic is... We are going to talk about if you are running a game. So this is not educating players or whatever. This is for you yourself as a game master. But if you are running a game in a setting that has a complicated and detailed history, how do you go about managing that when you are running this for the first time, particularly if you're under the added pressure that someone there either knows the canon really well or is the sort of homework addict that's going to go read all the novels and deep dive into it and then come back in a week and they suddenly have an encyclopedic understanding of the setting and you're trying to run an entire game and once again, you are not already an expert in the setting. So how do you go about handling that within the course of your game? So what inspired this is in less than a week, I'm going to be running a Flash Gordon game I've never actually seen any of the Flash Gordon movies, never read any of the comics. I saw the TV show remake they did that people say is supposed to be really bad. So I need to learn Flash Gordon in less than a week. And I'm pretty sure Chris knows the movies and Chris is in my game. So, yeah, I mean, Chris was already fairly aged by the time that the first Flash Gordon comics came out, like back in the early 20th century. Yeah. Well, in scope standpoint, it's only a one-shot. It's not like it's a campaign. Oh, okay. I would approach this differently for a campaign than I would a one-shot. But that's what got me thinking about it. So I'm going to start off with a point zero before I even get to my first point, because I just want to rage for a moment at game producers and publishers and writers and whatnot. So it's already a given that every game should have an index if you got a dense setting would you please add a pronunciation guide (laughs) i am tired of having no idea how to say the names in the setting and then going to conventions and mentioning something because that's how our group pronounces it we just culturally came to that conclusion nobody else pronounces it the same way or can even agree upon how it ought to be pronounced and I've seen this in D&D, I've seen this in Battletech. I mean, until they released the voice-acted video games relatively recently, there was no clear agreement on how to pronounce the various house names. Is it Marik, Merrick, Arik? There's a whole bunch of variations on this. So, good God, people, please release a pronunciation guide for your game. I mean, if you don't want to put it in the book, put it online, but ideally put it in the book somewhere. All right, rant over. Let's get down to point one. <laughs> All right, so for me, the very first thing, if I have somebody at my table that knows the setting Mm -hmm. and is excited about the setting, is passionate about it, before I start trying to learn anything, I'm going to go to that one person and I'm going to ask them, what is important about this setting to you? I was going to say, turn that one player into a resource. Yeah, well, even more than that, what is important about the setting? So let's say it's Star Wars. Right. What is important about Star Wars to you? Oh, well, I... I'm all about the Jedi and this. Well, then I know that what I need to look up is the Jedi. And they mentioned this planet. I want to look up that planet. Right. Versus looking up the entire universe at first. Or or learning all about TIE fighters and then realizing that they don't care at all. Yeah, Because I think for me, 
I don't need to know the whole setting before session one. I need to know enough setting to do session one. Right. And then I can expand from there. So I need to figure out what I'm going to focus on first. You know, Wayne, I have split feelings on that because on the one hand, I would love to find someone that has that kind of passion and get them engaged both so they're helping me learn the setting and also because it's going to add to their excitement as a player about the game and add to their investment in what we're doing. But my concern there is if you hit them where they care the most, it almost feels like an invitation to keep adding more info. So if you're like, well, I'm really excited about Jedi and this one particular planet, Korriban or whatever. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to do that. But now you've kind of opened the door that when you get to Korriban, they may have told you only 10 to 20% of what their very, very focused mind and very excited mind actually knows about the location. And they're continuing to info dump or to correct what you're saying or... Or just just setting dump on the other players with stuff that has no meaning to the game or you didn't know and so you can't incorporate. And that's very true. Maybe you don't want to start off in an area that is that important to players. Maybe you want to start off somewhere. Like my instinct is to pick somewhere that is not defined and start the game there and then move into defined areas. That was actually something that I was going to bring up later, but that is a strategy that I have used where if it's a setting that I'm not familiar with, I have done some research and then like built my own thing over here that nobody else knows about, but is in this world. Okay, so Mary's getting much closer to what my first point was. But before we hit that, I want to add something on to Wayne's, which is because of my somewhat more guarded view of this. I actually had on my notes the reverse suggestion of players that really know the setting need to either be very tactful and gentle in educating the GM and answering the questions the GM may have, but overall just need to shut the honk up. And I've seen this from the player perspective. So I am a player in a game where I know the setting better than the person running it. And they're oftentimes intimidated to run it or unwilling to run it because they're afraid that's what I'm going to do to them. The first time I got somebody to run Battletech for me, and this was back when I really closely followed the Battletech canon, read all the books, had all the novels. I'll admit I'm out of practice. I mean, hell, at the time I was writing for the game. When I wanted one of my friends to run it, it took a lot of coaxing because he was really worried that I was going to bulldoze him on the setting And so he was concerned that I might do something like say, well, Comstar would never put up with this. So screw it. I want to make one phone call and get the issue sorted out. Well, I would never run Battletech for you. Not because I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid I would disappoint you. I don't want to disappoint my players. And if I have a player that's passionate about a setting and it's a setting like I look at Battletech as this huge, vast, impenetrable wall that I can't get into that... If I try to run that for you, I'm going to disappoint you, and I don't want to do that. Well, I would say it's a bigger concern with sex than Battletech, but to be honest, they're about the same to me. So I get why that would make you nervous. I don't care if I disappoint you in sex. I mean, that's me. Yeah, right. Battletech, that is really, that's where it's at. That's what was it, the four Fs or the five Fs is feed, fight, flee, football play Battletech. (laughs) 
I think one of the most important things to me about getting a setting right, though, is less about the detail and the minutia and more about the feel. Getting that feel right is so important. And I'm going to give an example of something that just utterly failed. The Star Trek MMO. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was Yes. Yeah. It got the technical things. Oh, yeah. Fine. It looked good. And, and then you go there, on a mission. it was fun to play. You but... go on a mission and you transport down to the planet and you're given the details of there's an artifact here that you're trying to find. An alien species you've never met is here to get the artifact. Kill them. Right. Oh, so <laughs> not even, I know the plot you're talking about. It's not even get. It's scan. You are trying to scan an artifact. First contact with an alien species who is also not trying to take, simply trying to scan the same artifact, and you have to murder them before they can scan it. Not even take it, just right. look at it. Yeah, and that was a complete and utter failure of the feel of Star Trek. Yeah. Right. So for me, that's one of the bigger things, even besides the details and the history. What is the feel of a setting? And I think for me, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm looking out there at YouTube. I'm looking out there. Are there movies? Are there books? Is there anything that I can passively consume to see what that feel is? I'm going to read Wikipedia articles for information, but I want to see people and hear people in the setting to get the feel. Yeah, okay. So that's That's fair fair enough, because if we go back to Battletech, the 3025 era up to the clan invasion, if you play that without really getting what the technological obscurity, the resource poorness of the game, the concept of the feudal titles and all the hierarchies and politics there, then, yeah, you're kind of missing out on the essence of what makes Battletech work. And Wayne, I'm going to actually expand off your idea and put a somewhat different title to my thought, but it's basically the same as yours which is go find a setting primer. Find some place just to start, and that could be a YouTube video, but a lot of games have these. Uh, I wrote down a few examples while we were sitting here. In Battletech's second, or MechWarrior 2nd Edition, they had a historical overview that was about 10 pages long that, for a new GM or a new player, was a great explainer. In uh, MechWarrior Destiny, which is a newer edition, they have something called the Battletech Primer, which has a page or two within that called the Inner Sphere Circa 3025, and it gives you a bit of a crash course on the setting over in a different FASA product, uh, Shadowrun. In second edition, they had And So It Came to Pass. As a fifth edition, I'll admit I don't, I think they're on sixth edition now or something, which I don't own. It's been a long time since I've played Shadowrun. Yeah, same here, I think. that a fifth is the last I have, and they have one called Life in the Sixth World. I was asking Wayne earlier if Dresden has something equivalent, and apparently they do. In one of the books, was it Your Game or Your World or what is it called? Your Story. Your Story. There is a chapter called Harry's World referring to Harry Dresden, and that in the same way lays out, okay, here's the gist of what Dresden is all about if you have never run, played, read the setting before. Yep, and the important thing being, what is important about it, not all of the fine details. The fine details are in other setting books like Our World, things like that. But something to give you a, this is the feel you're going for. Yeah. Well, and in that same way, and specifically, this was years ago, but this was Battletech, and it was a setting that I had played Battletech, but without the like 
actual settings and story, just the tabletop minis mm-hmm. game. And when I was going to go run a MechWarrior campaign, I went and tracked down a bunch of the novels and found the abridged versions of the audiobooks. Something that I could listen to an entire book in a couple hours at work. And I didn't care about the, like, because normally I refuse to listen to abridged audiobooks because I want all the details. But in this case, I was just going for the overview, a sense of what was happening and how it was happening. And those abridged books were really good for that. I don't think I've ever listened to an abridged version. I hate them normally, but they now, were super useful. What I would love to see is the Thug Notes version of <laughs> Battletech novels. That I would absolutely watch, even though up to a certain point, I voraciously read every book they put out. Now, yet again, I'll admit that I've lost touch with the setting, but once upon a time, I knew it that well. And I would still watch a Thug Notes summary. <laughs> of, I'll link that in the show notes so you don't have any idea what Thug Notes is. Uh, the next bit of advice I had is start small. Now, this could be a small time frame. This could be a small area. As an example, when I was running my first game set in Forgotten Realms, I don't read the D&D novels. I'm not against them. I just only have so many hours in the day, and that's not what I was reading. I read the setting source book, but I wasn't voraciously studying every little book out there. So I started with a small area. I told my players that we are going to play in the area of the nation of Sembia, which I was complaining earlier is out on the east, despite the fact that all the D&D stuff coming out, whether it's Baldur's Gate games or the movie or whatever, always set off on the west. But I picked that small area so I could really study and learn just a tiny piece of land. And then I did a little bit of toe dipping into the major surrounding powers, just so I had the gist of how they get along with each other. But I did not explore them because, look, I still got a whole game to write. NPCs to create, backgrounds to integrate, players to talk to, plots to construct, on and on and on. I don't have time to be learning 30 novels worth of Forgotten Realms stuff So I'm just going to pick this area. So in this case, it was Sembia plus like maybe a little bit of the Dale Lands and Cormier. And I only learned that area within a particular time frame of history. Yeah, that kind of goes back to my original conversation about you don't need to know everything at session one. So if you know they're going to say go to Waterdeep at some point, then you can start looking at that up then. But you don't need to know the details about it other than it's a city that exists to start your game. Yeah, and similarly, specifically that Battletech game I was running, I found a region of space that I liked that was like somewhere in between some worlds that was kind of frontier-y, and I made up a planet. I was just like, here is a world, here is a plot I can control, here is where it is in the larger universe, but I don't have to know anything else about what happened here because I made it all up. And so your characters come from the larger world, but we're focusing on this thing that I can control right now, and then you can bring in the other details later. Yeah, especially in a game where they're going to travel. That works really well. Start them off in a small town that didn't exist in any setting book, and then they can visit the places that they want to from the setting. You know, Wayne, two episodes ago, I was upset you guys were bogarting all my ideas. You in particular. (laughs) Because you stole from Mary as well. (laughs) But in this case, I think this is actually good because it shows that despite making our notes separately, we all came to similar conclusions. (laughs) Not identical, but similar. Because what I put here was explore outward slowly and learn the setting as you go. And if your players say they're going to go over here, 
then you tell them, okay, I understand it's a role-playing game. You can choose to go to this place that I don't know much about, but fair warning that I'm going to have to take some time to go read a little something about this because I don't know what this city or this empire or this planet's like, so I'm going to have to take some time between games to go study it. So if you want to do this, great, but... If you don't give me the time to prepare, it's not going to be what you want. Precisely. That's it for gaming tonight. I'll see you guys next time because that degree of setting study or history study or whatever cannot be done in the course of a dump. And so that one you've got to take home as homework and just express to the players openly that if you want this and you want it to meet canon to any degree, then you've got to accept that I'm going to need some time to grow my understanding of the setting. In fact, I'm curious. Let's put this into a real exercise here. Are there any game settings that you have learned that way by running a game and slowly searching outward? And having to read up more on how they handled this and how they handled that. And that was how you learned the setting. As a player or as a GM? Either one. As a GM, no. Because typically for me, most settings I just throw out and create my own setting from scratch. Yeah, yeah. it's either that or a setting that I know better than the players. Like the when I've run Dresden, it's, Which, it's for people who don't know it as well. Discarding canon, I, I'll have that as a separate bullet point. So we'll come back to that. But... This was how I learned Blades. Now, I never got my chance to run that game because it died before we got through the GM rotation. But as I was contemplating the plot I was going to run, so I took the way Chad presented the world. And then Chad said that really the way he was running it was an amalgamation of Blades as it's written and what was almost certainly its primary source material, which is Dishonored. So I went out and played actually more of the Dishonored games than Chad had, and learned that level of the setting, and then started contemplating plots I wanted to run. And so I started flipping through the Blades in the Dark source book and being like, well, what is over here? And how does this work? And what does this item do? And holy crap, is some of that poorly defined. (laughs) John Harper, I love you. I'm going to agree with what a lot of your fan base is saying. You need another edition of your game. You really need a second edition of Blades. It's a great game, but when you don't play your own game the way the book says you should, it needs a second edition. Thinking about it, I actually do have a thing like that. I've done it not as a a game master, but I have done this sort of thing as a player with World of Darkness games, specifically Werewolf, where going into the game, it was one of those things where I was started, um, oh, maybe like seven years ago, and it's one of those games that had I known about it when I was 12, it would have been the only thing I played, but... I didn't have any idea of the, the universe or the setting. And basically, I did, had enough research to build a character. And then we started playing. And from there, Storyteller would bring up a thing. And I'd be like, well, now I'm going to go home and read about that because I need to know what this is. And I want to know what this is. And like, I just did that, where I read, eventually read the entire source book. And similarly with Exalted, I would go in and, again, very dense system and setting. And building a character is hard enough. And then from there, it's go home, find resources, learn about the other things in the world as we go. Everything I know about Battletech pretty much came from playing and finding out about the universe from that and finding out that sometimes the advice I was being given by my advisors was really poor advice. Like, don't ignore the locust? 
<laughs> no, like, let's just land our dropship right next to their base. That did not work out. Because, because it's, it, it's got so much armor, they'll never be able to damage it. Well, no. you guys also did lose a lot of resources to the very... Uh, poorly chosen cause of just ignore the locust <laughs> and it's like that's great until you have three medium lasers on your back armor every round yeah yeah I and, think on a target you can't hit yeah exactly so, unlike a lot of gamers i don't have a lot of this because the vast majority of my gaming experience early on was not published settings yeah so i no, true. i started off with homebrews and settings that we created sitting around the table and so i didn't really have that exploring published settings for quite a while yeah because even when it wasn't truly homebrewed it was such i don't know mutilation of Uh, what the published setting is that it might as well have been a homebrew and so yeah yeah, everything but the names removed yeah precisely whereas i don't think i got into homebrew until i mean despite my passion for them now that was well into my gaming career. Well, I don't know, I guess you could argue it's the other way around, because since I started the Satanic Panic, my very first role-playing games were homebrews before I had ever even played a published role-playing game. But once I got a published role-playing game, I then stuck with published materials for several years. This is my next point, and this one ties in pretty well to what we were just talking about. Go ahead and announce up front... This is what canon you're using, and this is what canon you're ignoring. And if someone at the table cannot handle that, I'm sorry that they're such a big fan of the setting that they cannot give you the birth to tell your story. But if you're doing the heavy lifting of everything a GM is expected to do, I think it is fair to say, look, you chose to run this game. Learn something about it. But I'm just going to tell my players up front that, hey, I'm running Forgotten Realms. I've only read this much material, and I've played these video games, and we're going to run it in this part of the world at this point in history. I know some of you guys know this far better than I do. Too bad. It's just going to get thrown out the window. You go to look for the Harpers. I'm sorry. I am too lazy to look up what they are. I'm being facetious. I have enough (laughs) else to do that I'm not going to look up what the Harpers are. So guess what? They're either A, not going to be there, or B, not going to be terribly helpful. I'm not going to let you veto my plot because you knew a setting trick I didn't know. Yep. And the more there is to a setting, the more likely to do that. For example, going back to the Star Wars one, I have never read any of the Extended Universe books. If I were to sit down and run a Star Wars game, first thing I would say is I've seen the movies. I'm a big fan of Rebels and I've watched most of Clone Wars and I enjoy Bad Batch, Mandalorian. That is the only thing that is canon to me. Yeah, yeah. Because there are too many books for me to look out there, and those books counterdict each other. Well, and I think maybe therein lies a better way to phrase what I gave as my header there, of instead of announcing you're ignoring canon, announce you're only respecting a certain band of canon. That this canon I'm going to bring into the game, but if it's not part of that, I have not had the opportunity to study it and don't know it as well as any experts at the table. Don't setting lawyer me. Let's just roll past this. Well, I even do that for settings that I know. One of the first things I do when I sit down with Dresden Files is like, okay, certain things happen in the books after these points. 
that will make the game more difficult. So this book on, none of that has happened yet. If we have a reason that we need something to be different, then we are going to change it for the story being told. I have a passion for the setting, but that doesn't mean that anything is set in stone because this is our universe, not the universe of yeah. A subpoint within that is something that not just picking what canon you're using, what specific you're using, but sticking to this is the time we are starting in and anything in the future doesn't necessarily have to happen. Yep. Like yep. if you know that this thing is going to happen because of this series of events later on, you're going to play into that. That's you can't do that because I'm not going to set that up. It has nothing to do with this story. So we're ignoring it. It may or may not happen. It may not be part of the setting as we play the game forward. 100%. When I run Forgotten Realms, I will sometimes allow newer gods into the game if somebody really wants to play that approach. But it's fine because a, a pantheon, which I've never said why they call them a pantheon, not a polytheon, because they're not truly pantheistic. They're po- Anyways, side topic, etymology debate. I'm sure somebody's <laughs> already starting that post. But the point being, though, that when I announce a setting limitation, I usually include a time frame there as well. And I'll say something like, okay, we're going to play Forgotten Realms in Symbia and its surrounding areas, roughly in the era of the gold box games. The time of troubles is just never going to happen. Not within this campaign. I mean, if you want to imagine it happens in your great grandchildren's lifetime, that's fine. I don't care. But that's your imagination. That's not my story. My story is going in a completely different way because the moment your characters interact with the world, if they can't meaningfully change its history, if they can't meaningfully impact its truths, then eh, I'm starting to question the value of interactive storytelling. Then you're playing the Lord of the Rings game where you're playing the other people who are following behind the party as they went, affecting nothing meaningful, just watching what they did right after they did it. Are you talking about that one that used the same game engine as Final Fantasy X? You know, yeah, the only that time that has ever worked for me was Enter the Matrix, the video game. Hmm. You were following characters that were side characters in it. And that, that makes a difference. When the, when it's not the main characters, yes. you have a little bit more room. Okay, fair enough. I'll grant that. I know yeah. the game Mary's talking about. I don't remember its title. I don't either, which is why. I- but there was a Lord of the Rings game they really rushed out. And it used the same game engine as Final Fantasy X. And they just reskinned it to be Lord of the Rings stuff. And what she's describing is exactly what you did. The fellowship's out here doing whatever, and you are always one step behind them. It was like, why am I here? I already watched the movies. I don't need to try and sleuth what they were doing by showing up 10 minutes later. It was very frustrating. It did quickly feel like my party doesn't matter oh because you you didn't like you were affecting nothing and that is what that kind of setting rigidity can lead to where you're like this is no longer a story that we're telling because we have to stay so true to what will happen yeah we have no freedom i know the conversation that always comes up about that is well you can't kill darth vader before the movies well why not in my game you can yeah i mean unless you set up front as a gm that okay Episodes four, five, and six are my canon for this game. That's fine. But now you've accepted Darth Vader into your universe. Doesn't mean he can't be killed. You don't want him killed. Don't let the players encounter him. But once again, I just go back to what you announced as canon. That's all you are bound to stick to. And I'm going to tack on another recommendation here. It'll probably get its own bullet point of get it out of the way early. Go ahead real early on. Break canon. 
just get it over with. Get rid of that anticipation. Whoever it is that's a super, super fan of this particular game and this particular world. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Just get it over with early that I'm not going to tell the story the way that the novelist did. That straight off the bat, first thing is Elminster got killed and he's really dead. It's not some ruse. He's not going to get resurrected. He's dead, dead, dead. And let them freak out about it and then move on with the story. Now that they've accepted you're going another direction or have Vader killed, you know, I don't know, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be that drastic. It could be something as simple as you inventing a town that shouldn't be there between two cities and just say, yeah, that's always been there. That's been there for three centuries and let them have their fit and get it out of their system. But it sets an expectation early that they're going to encounter deviations. And I think there's value to deviations as long as you keep the feel. That's the big thing for me, is if you're running in a setting for somebody and they love the setting, then you do want to keep to the feel as much as possible. Sure. Well, you're running because, in that setting for a reason. Exactly. Like, if you weren't, then why, why use you, it at all? Yeah, why are you running it if you're not trying to yeah. present that world? So I don't want to go too out there, but I am all for changing things, switching out the... Oh, the general is not this general that you expect it to be. It is this person that didn't exist in any of the books or the movies or whatever. But they're the ones that's running it as a way to kind of shake things up. But I do want to keep the feel at very least. Yeah, and and Wayne, I think that's a point worth emphasizing is the context of at least the things that I have said in this episode is I don't want GMs to feel shackled, to feel intimidated, or to say because I do not know a PhD level of information on this game. I therefore just can't run it. I'm trying to suggest that it's not as bad as it looks and it's okay to stray. That is not to say the extreme I'm suggesting is put the setting in the dumpster. I am not saying that in the least. I'm just saying that since there are only so many hours in the day and a GM has a lot of other tasks and this particular game may not be their preferred game or their real passion that it's okay to stray but like you said if you're going to stray completely if you can't keep any of the proper nouns if you can't stick to any of the themes of the game if you can't stick to the essence of what these stories are supposed to be about if you can't describe the feel of this in high terms if if you're completely shifting the setting from one technology level to another for no reason sure yeah I mean, like, let's take Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a storyline about unassuming good people going up against impossible odds and winning because of the fact that hope and a higher power is guiding them through it. And very clear evils. Yes. It's it's being a, a candlelight in a lot of darkness, and you are not an impressive candle to begin with. This is very different than Game of Thrones, which is about... Really powerful people doing really bad things. Yeah. And really powerful people who might be good that don't survive three chapters. I think the important thing for me is what is important about this setting. So if you sit down to run session number one and you can't answer that question, then you haven't prepared to run the game. Right. And that doesn't mean what are all of the proper nouns for everything? What are all the cities? What is important about this setting? 
that should be something that you know from whatever research you've done. And if you don't, you haven't done the right research. And secondary to that, you should know what the feel of the character should be within the world. You're like your player characters should have a place in this that fits the setting as much as anything else, but you should be able to convey the way they should interact with things. So do you, do you mean like asking them in the course of this game, you are under the impression your character is going to do what? I mean, maybe not a specific plot point, but can you give me generalities of... Well, it's uh, if we're sitting down to play Lord of the Rings, for example, you are all not going to be Gandalf. You can't, and still keep the feel of Lord of the Rings. Right. That's There's a scale to where your players will fit, and you have to know what that is. Yeah, and even within that, Gandalf is not going to walk out there and kill 50 orcs in front of him with chain lightning. Doesn't mean he doesn't have capabilities of things like that. That's not what that character does. Well, of course not. He was the keeper of the secret flame. He'd kill them with burning hands, not chain lightning. <laughs> True. But I mean, that's that's part of it, too, is what is the expectation for combat happens? Yeah. A D&D game versus, say, a Sky's a Glass game, for example. Yeah. You have two entirely different expectations coming in. You need to know what your players are expecting of the setting because that could come up very quickly. You know, one of the things that I've found interesting about playing under people that don't know a setting as well as I do is it gives you an insight into how they've interpreted the setting. This is really fascinating with homebrews. Get somebody else to run your homebrew, and you find out pretty quickly how other people interact with or understand your ideas and what they've been latching onto. It is a really interesting thing. Even in settings I didn't write, like Battletech, it is really interesting to watch somebody else GM it because... What they put forward as the story gives me a sense of what they've latched onto in the setting and how other people are interpreting it in ways that may be different from how I prioritize, you know, what I consider to be the top three characteristics. In fact, that kind of pulls me into a side thought, which is why you were talking earlier. I was combining some of your ideas because you talked about capturing the feel of the setting. Uh, we talked about tapping your more experienced players to get a sense of the setting from them. I wonder if there's virtue in doing what I'm going to call three by three, where you go to the people that are the real setting experts and say, I want you to give me three bullet points that may be no more than three sentences each of what you think matters the most in the setting. Or you could do something a little different of say, give me these three bullet points, one sentence each, and you can give me a total of, I don't know, 2,000 words of reading. You know, I don't have time to read everything, but if you're really into this, are, are there like a couple pages in a source book that you think I should read because this is really where your heart's at? But set those limits to them that I want to know this much and no more, and I will not be held accountable for things outside of what you just picked as your big priorities. I guess that's where we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. The Kickstarter for Fear of the Con has ended by the time that this episode drops, and it was successful, so I want to thank you guys for that, and I want to give a big thanks first to Wayne for the work that he did while running it, and Secondly, and let me stress, not a distant second by any stretch of the imagination, the people that were kind enough to back us, 
The convention is happening. Once again, this is going to be June 15th, 16th, and 17th. The 15th is a Thursday, which is where we'll have the comedy show and the social mixer. And then the next two days will be a Friday and a Saturday where we have the actual games. And whether you back the Kickstarter or not, we hope that we will see you there. We will be getting fearthecon.com rolled over to the new con site soon. So just bear with us. And Con Planner is live and people are posting games. Never mind then. I will roll that domain and post that with this episode because that's a real easy one to do. So otherwise, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2023. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.